Good morning, world. Welcome to another episode of Zen Dependently Minded. If you are a new or returning listener, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you're interested in more combat sports, news, analysis, predictions, discussions like this episode, or if you're interested in satirical and kind of serious world news reactions and discussions and analysis, then I also do that on this podcast if you are a new listener. If you're returning, obviously you know that. There are some people who listen to both my Zendependent News and my Zendependently Minded episodes. So obviously, to put it short and quick and sweet, Zendependently Minded, it's combat sports, Zendependent News, obviously it's in the name. It's world news reports where I just kind of give my reactions and my humble thoughts, my humble opinions, and... Sometimes I go off on tangents, sometimes I go on rants. It it all depends on what's going on in the news. Cause I like to stay informed, but at the end of the day I like to, you know, still live my life. I don't when I was a kid and I watched the news or listened to the news or saw newspapers, sometimes I'd get scared. But as I got older I realized for the most part I think the world the world is a good place. It's a great place. Life is great. Sometimes it has its ups and downs, and it depends on who you are. I'm blessed and grateful to, you know, be an American, have a lot of rights and freedoms. I know a lot of people around the world don't, and my heart goes out to them. I pray for them all the time. But, yeah, what I'm trying to get at is life can be great, and but at the same time, it's good to know what's going on in the world. But, obviously, this is independently minded. This is going to be my episode where I discuss and kind of do a little bit of analysis and then make my official predictions for the upcoming really fun, exciting UFC card, UFC 262. So I'm going to predict the entire main card, and I'm going to start off with the first fight. So this card, just a little bit of a backstory for this. This is in the to- this is going to be at the Toyota Center. This is, I think, from now on, every pay-per-view event. Possibly, I think also the Fight Nights, too, are going to have full crowds which is really exciting. It's fun to have the crowds back. It's fun to see have the fans back and you know I'm I I get jealous every time there's a there's a fight night or there's a um pay-per-view just knowing that I have not gone to a UFC event before, but I definitely will. I will eventually one day make my way over there. I'm here in Europe. If you guys are new, you probably don't know that, but if you're returning, you've heard me say it a million times. I am here in Europe, so sometimes there you know, a lot of times, actually, there are events that are held in Europe, so I just got to be patient and wait, because I'm not trying to fly back to the United States. It's really for, like, I could, I could, I'm. it's totally an option to fly to Houston and to see this card or whatever. Obviously, it's too late. It's sold out, but it's not, it's just not a smart financial choice, and, you know, I'd have to take off work, and it's, it's a whole thing, so I'm waiting to see in the future if there are any like really big cards that are here in Europe. I know last year me and a buddy of mine were going to him and his wife and then me and my girlfriend were going to go to Ireland to watch and attend UFC Fight Night Dublin. I want to say it was in Dublin and that was supposed to be headlined by Robert Whitaker and Darren Till which would have been super fun but then of course coronavirus shut down the entire world and then they had to move all the fights to the Apex Center, and yeah, so we all know that story, but yeah, so like I was saying, this card is stacked. This 
this entire event is stacked. And they're every single fight, I think, on the main card, with the exception of one, which I'll talk about later and get specific. All of them are going to be really entertaining. I'm really excited for all of them except for one. And I'm sure you guys know which one I'm talking about. But originally, there was also going to be Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards fighting, which would have... That card was so insanely stacked, and it's still really good without that fight. But obviously, you know, it took a hit, and it's okay. The life moves on, and this card is still really great. So, nevertheless, very first fight on the main card, we have a featherweight bout between Shane Burgos and Edson Barboza. So, Edson Barboza, obviously, he fought at lightweight for his entire UFC career until just recently, and he moved... He moved up, moved down to featherweight. He was he was losing at lightweight, whatever the reason, and he's been looking good. I, I w- after he lost that fight to Paul Felder, I wasn't really sure what was next for him. But his move down to featherweight, he's looked good. In my opinion, he beat Danny Danny Gay, so I count that as a win to him. That that's just my opinion. So so far at featherweight, he's looked good. He's I think he has three wins in the featherweight division. I, he looked good against Danny Gay. Yeah, he technically lost the fight. It counted as a loss for him, but yeah, he's looked really good at featherweight. He He's always dangerous. He's one of the best kickers, if not the best kicker. I don't think he's the best, but he's definitely one of the best and most dangerous kickers in the UFC. He can put anybody out. We've seen him. We There was even a crazy, I want to say it was a spinning back kick or spinning side kick that he landed on. Khabib landed flush. Didn't really look like it hurt Khabib, but that could have put anybody out. It's just, you know, Khabib is a machine. He's another, he's a whole other type of human. But yeah, he's been he's been looking good at featherweight, and I'm I'm sure he's really confident and excited coming coming into this fight. And then, as far as Shane Burgos goes, he's you know he's he's climbing up, and he's a win or two away from being a serious contender. Obviously, he's coming off of a loss to Josh Emmett. That was a fun back and forth. It's just he showed how hittable he can be in that loss to Josh Emmett. And it just, you know, like I always said, every time I do like an analysis and then take notes for the fights for the event that I'm going to talk, discuss and predict, I watch their most recent fights and I kind of try my best to, you know, take notes and and prepare for things that you know, I'm noticing that I think will play into and affect the outcome of the fights. Obviously, I want to make the most educated prediction that I can. So that all being said, I think I think Edson Barbosa is just too dangerous and he's looked too good. He's looked too sharp. He hasn't taken as much damage at featherweight as he did it up at lightweight. You know, we did see him get completely mauled to death almost by Khabib when, you know, he was just not able to get up. When Khabib took him down, he was stuck on the floor, and obviously nobody's going to have a grappling advantage over Khabib. He's just, he's the best at what he does, or what he did, and you know, he's retired now. But, and then we also have seen him get outstruck and even knocked out before. When he fought Justin Gaethje, you know, he was trying to get out of range. Gaethje caught him with a perfectly placed hook and then put him out. So we've seen him get knocked out before. We've seen him get outgrappled, outstruck, but I just don't think... I just think he's too experienced and he's just going to be able to better exploit those openings that, you know, that Shane Burgos kind of showed that he, you know, there are openings that you see 
in his stand-up game. Like I said, his most recent fight, his loss to Josh Emmett. He, I think Edson is just too smart and too intelligent of a striker to not exploit those openings, and I think he will land those bigger shots and just do more damage. Like I said, land more shots, and in the end, I think that Edson Barbosa is going to win by decision. So, the next bout on this card. I was a bit confused when I was looking over this card about a month ago, and I saw Kalen Chikagian and Vivian Arujo? I don't really know how to say her name. But when I saw them on the main card, and then Edmund Shabazian and Jack Hermanson on the prelims, that was weird to me. But then they moved the Hermanson and Shabazian fight to the main card, and then I think it got cancelled. Yeah, it got cancelled. I don't really remember the reason why, which sucks because that's a really exciting fight, and I don't know why that was on the prelims and then this fight was on the main card. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I enjoy watching both girls fight. I respect them both. Like I always say, I respect all fighters, no matter how good or bad or just average you are. I respect you. It's just, you know, this fight I'm not as excited for. I'm just, I'm not trying to lie and put on a facade and fake my excitement. But that all being said, Kaylin Chikagian doesn't have any finishes in the UFC, but that doesn't mean she's not good. She doesn't really try to finish people, but, you know, she does enough to win. She's She's got skills. She's a good fighter. She's decent. She's decent on her feet. And the only time she's been finished is by basically the top, like the top tier fighters in her division. And, you know, obviously... She challenged Valentina Shevchenko for the title, got knocked out, and, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Valentina Shevchenko is beating everybody. There's not, there are only a couple people on this planet that I think can possibly beat her, but even then, I'm probably going to favor Valentina, but, and then also she got knocked, she got, she lost by TKO from body shot to Jessica Andrade, who's another really dangerous fighter, and... Yeah, so she, like I said, she doesn't get finishes, but she also doesn't get finished often. She's she's shown her ability to go the distance, and occasionally, and most often times, win by decision. She has a couple decision losses, but she has decent striking, and yeah, she's not a, she's not a bad fighter. She's one of the best in her division, but I don't think she'll ever be champion. And then Vivian... She has decent decent striking, but she wins more often when she can get a hold of her opponents and take them down. She doesn't she will she has stand she has stood and banged with people before, but she has more success when she's, you know, using her advantage in the grappling department and trying to get a hold of people and taking them down. She's also shown flashes of her power along with the usual showcase of grappling. So, I just think Vivian is going to show that there's levels to this game. She's She's got better grappling than Caitlyn, and her striking, I think their striking is about even. I think Caitlyn probably has the little, like a slight edge, but because Vivian has that threat of the power and the takedown, I just, I just think her, her pace and her volume isn't, it's, it's going to overwhelm Caitlyn, and I think if she can get a hold of her and take her down, I don't think Caitlyn's going to have a good time on the ground, and I don't think she'll be able to get back up. I just think Vivian's submission game is too strong, and that all being said, my official prediction for this fight is Vivian Arujo by submission in the second round.
So the next fight on this card, we have a flyweight bout. For some reason on Google, it's listed as a bantamweight bout. Um, both guys are flyweights. I think one of them have missed, has missed weight before, so maybe it got moved up to bantamweight. No, they're, they're, they're both flyweights. So it's flyweight bout between Matthew Schnell and Rogerio Bonturin. So R Rogerio has really credible jiu-jitsu skills, and he's always usually a danger when he's on the ground. But that all being said, you know, he has more submission wins than he has submission losses, but he has been subbed and he's been KO'd before. So he's shown that he is finishable, but he doesn't get finished often. So it's not like dudes getting knocked down, submitted all the time. Um, and then Matthew Schnell is a submission master. Almost all of his finishes, I think he has, has eight submission wins. He has quite a few finishes, a few decision wins, but most of his finishes come by sub. And then, so he's he's the bigger threat when it comes to the submission game. But he's also been knocked out a few times in his professional career. So, just just Rogerio's, you know his his kind of ability and his I don't want to say weakness, but that's what I'm going to say weakness to getting submitted. I think that is what that's what Matthew Chanel is going to exploit, and I think that. His grappling is just going to carry him straight to a submission win in the first round. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't think the fight's going to be standing up too long. I think Matthew Schnell is going to try to assert his dominance on in the ground game, in the grappling department, and I think he's going to successfully submit Rogerio Bontarin. I hope he's, I'm saying his name right. I should have I should have listened to John Anik announce him or the announcers before I did this. Maybe I'll do that for my next episode, but... Matthew Chanel, submission, first round. It's my official prediction. So moving on to the co-main event, we have a really, really exciting and kind of pivotal bout for both both fighters in this in this fight. We have a lightweight bout between Benil Darius and Tony Ferguson. So a little bit of background on Benil, if you don't know. He's on a, a pretty impressive six-fight win streak. And if he is able to beat Tony Ferguson, this will put him up into that 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 really deep and exciting and talent rich and skill rich, you know, top five contender group that is the lightweight division. There are so many really dangerous and really talented great fighters that could all beat each other on any given night. That all being said, Tony Ferguson, of course, we all know Tony Ferguson. He's had a rough stretch. For his past two fights, he got basically completely dominated by Charles Oliveira, who is fighting in the main event for the lightweight title. And then before that, he just got completely pieced up and beat up by Justin Gaethje. And then before those two losses, he was on a 12-fight winning streak. He should have fought for the title. I think he was done dirty. He knows he was done dirty. And I am a little worried, though, because he's still, you know, he's still talking trash to Khabib, he's still kind of chasing Khabib even though Khabib is retired, and it sucks because obviously he wanted to get that title, he was the interim title holder and then he got stripped for being injured, which sucked, he should have, that shouldn't have happened, they should have waited for him to heal to get a title shot, and then him and Khabib were booked four or five times, obviously we all know the story, so those two straight losses have been pretty definitive on Ferguson's part in a negative way, so He's going to have to show really serious improvements 
and be at the top of his game to, to beat Benil. Because Benil, he's lost in the past before, of course. He's been knocked out. It was kind of a fluke knockout the last time he lost by to Alexander Hernandez because we saw Alexander Hernandez just completely after Cowboy head kicked him because he was you know he was an exciting prospect. Once once Cowboy ended that you know that hype train, it was it you know nothing. Alexander Hernandez hasn't hasn't done anything since then really. That's impressive, and there's a possibility he could get cut soon. I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of him anyways. So he got what he deserved when he talk trash to Cowboy, and then, you know, was too cocky, thought thought he was just going to get an easy pushover win over a journeyman, but he was proven wrong, and it was a badass moment on Cowboy's part, but Benil has been, like I said, he's on a six-fight winning streak, he showed his ability when he fought Drakkar Close, his ability to get hurt, but just showcase how athletic he is, and he was able to weather that storm, and catch Drakkar when Drakkar was no pun intended, closing in on him. He was able to catch him, hurt him, and then drive him back and then finish him by knockout. That was a really exciting fight. One of the most exciting knockouts, you know, in a, in a while. That was It was such a crazy, wild turn of events. And then with Tony, Tony's always had that unorthodox style, but his toughness and his athleticism has always carried him. You know, he'll either tire out opponents or he'll eat shots and then either stay standing or... We've seen him get knocked down, and then he was able to, when people jump on top of him, cut him up or submit him. He's just very unorthodox, very athletic, very durable. And But that all being said, you know, when you get hit by that many shots, and when you see how many shots he took against Gaethje, you cannot, no matter, like, that just showed how tough Tony was. He was able to make it all the way till the fifth round, I think. Or was it, it was, it was either the fifth, I think it was the, towards the end of the fifth round, Nobody can. Nobody has been able to withstand Gaethje's onslaught for that long, except for the t- the best guys. Like Dustin Poirier did a better job with defense and wasn't really eating as many shots. He was his leg was getting torn up, and then Eddie Alvarez, of course, is a really tough guy. But Tony was just taking Justin's hardest shots, and he lasted long. But eventually, eventually, your your chin and your athleticism is like your athletic ability to take shots is going to run out and that's what we saw with him. So I obviously Tony Ferguson is looking to improve. He's not stupid. He's been getting in contact with some old coaches from when he was on his winning streak. He's working on his boxing with Freddie Roach which which is really really exciting. That's a very good look. Obviously Freddie Roach is one of the greatest boxing coaches of all time, if not the greatest. And he's so obviously he's been working on his on his stand up on his boxing which is really exciting which is it's a it's a reassuring thought if you're a huge Tony Ferguson fan which I am a t- huge Tony Ferguson fan but I am also a big fan of Benil so this is a tough one for me to you know it's all it's one of those things where we're not going to know until we see the two guys in the octagon cuz it's all really speculation because it's either going to go two ways. Tony is going to look the exact same, and Benil is going to be able to dominate him with his wrestling skills because he's got a lot of submission wins. And, you know, when it comes to the grappling department, he's 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 more of an offensive grappler. And up until we saw, you know, we've seen offensive grapplers have success early on against Tony Ferguson. Like, 
when Kevin Lee fought him, he was able to take him down. He was landing shots on him, but then Tony was able to find a way to submit him. That's what he. That's what he's done that so many times, and it's super amazing his kind of escapability and his tenacity to be able to overcome adversity and then eventually come out with the win. And then when Charles Oliveira took him down, he was able to avoid the submissions and he almost submitted Tony, but Tony is so tough. And we all saw that arm, that arm picture, or if you saw the whole fight, you know, everyone thought he was going to tap, but he didn't end up tapping. So it could, it could go one of two ways. Tony can show really big improvements in strides in the striking department and be able to maybe possibly catch Benil with that, you know, that lead hand uppercut he's hit a lot of guys with. He could, you know, start landing elbows. We've seen Tony be able to stand and strike. It's just Benil, Benil carries power. He's a big guy. He's a powerful guy. We don't know. I'm assuming Benil is going to come in and try to dominate him, take him down, and then just kind of hold him and do damage and control for three rounds. I don't think he's going to come in and try to knock Tony out. I could be completely wrong. You never know. But just looking at Benil's track record and just his fighting style, he's probably going to try to take Tony down and maybe even try to submit him. But it all just depends on if Tony has improved and adjusted or just revamped his style. The problem with that is, is he's 36 or 37. He's getting old and it's hard to teach, you know, the saying... It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks or whatever. I'm probably butchering that quote, but that applies when it comes to a fighter like him that's been around for so long and he's getting older. But I do have kind of cautious, you know, confidence in Tony. I think we're going to see, we're either going to see the best Tony, you know, from the past two fights, of course. We're going to see the old Tony or Benil is just going to come in and... Kind of put the nail in the coffin for Tony. I don't think Tony's going to get cut if he loses, but, you know, it's not going to be a good look because, you know, going from a 12-fight win streak to three losses in a row, you know, that's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching if you're a fan of Tony or if you're Tony <laughs> himself. So this is a hard one for me to decide, but I, I really do truly think we're going to see a better Tony Ferguson and one of the things that's like another thing we saw, you know, Tony was fighting a lot of five-round fights, and there are times that he would lose a round or two, but then do more damage, and then, you know, there weren't a lot of decision wins on that 12-fight winning streak. There were only a couple. So Tony will have to put on a kind of push a pace and try to come forward, and he just has to be careful because Benil has power, but also Tony has a chin, so... This is going to be a tough one. This is a tough one for me to decide. But I think that Tony is going to find a way to start cutting up Benil, and it'll either be Dr. Stoppage or it'll be a submission win. So I think I'm predicting a finish on Tony Ferguson's part. I'm leaning more towards a submission win. I think he might he might be able to catch Benil in a, in a darst choke. I'm not sure, but I'm more confident in Tony Ferguson. But it's one of those things. It's like 50.1%. Versus 49.9%. It's a very even matchup and it could go either way. But my official prediction, Tony Ferguson will win by submission and he'll do it in the third round. So moving on to the main event, we have a vacant lightweight title bout between Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. So I've been putting a lot of thought into this fight. I've been putting a lot of thought into both fighters and they're, you know, they're kind of 
contrasting but a little bit of similar styles and you know I'm really excited for this fight I'm really high on both guys obviously you know I was I was taken by surprise at how good Michael Chandler looked in his UFC debut I'm I've always been the type of fan to I watch Bellator fights every once in a while I watch Glory I watch one but I still do genuinely think that the best fighters in the UFC, the champions, the top five, most of them will beat the top five in the champions in Bellator and one and glory kickboxing. I just think the UFC is the cream of the crop. I don't think there's that. I'm not saying there's not good. There's no good fighters in one or there's no good fighters in Bellator. But I just think if, if we had the whole entire roster, at least the ranked roster and the champions from the UFC fight guys in Bellator, most of the UFC guys are going to win. There are some Bellator guys that can beat the UFC fighters, of course. But I wasn't convinced that Michael Chandler was going to be able to come in, get thrown straight into the fire, and fight someone as tough and talented and skillful as Dan Hooker. And, you know, obviously we saw him telegraph that that left kind of overhandish hook perfectly. And it was so impressive because Michael Chandler, he's really dangerous everywhere he has power but to in my opinion i think he's more dangerous as a wrestler as a grappler and submission artist because he has he's a lot of submission wins and and yeah he's just really dangerous he showed how much power he has when he was able to just come in and knock out dan hooker not a lot of people have been able to finish dan hooker with strikes so that was super impressive and you know I'm I'm really high on Michael Chandler. That being said, Charles Oliveira, I'm really, really hyped up and excited about him too because he's been around for a long time. He's had a couple losses, but for the most part, being up at lightweight has been, you know, that that's a that was a career changing decision that he made to move up. And it's it's a it's a hard one to pick because Charles Oliveira is on a really impressive win streak. But to me, the strength for Charles Oliveira lies in... I think his striking is good. I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's good. I I think his advantage is in his submission game. And he has most of his wins by submissions. I think he has... But he also has a lot of knockouts. He has a lot of finishes. The guy is really good. But I think he has the most submissions in UFC history, which is... you know. If there's any indicator that he's dangerous on the ground, it's the fact that he has the most submissions in UFC history. The guy has submitted so many really good fighters. And the only times he's really lost, you know, he's been submitted a couple times. So it's not like his his grappling defense is bulletproof. But his advantage is going to be... the His most sure pathway to victory is going to be by... Sub, trying to submit Michael Chandler. The problem is Michael Chandler's never been submitted. So it's I'm not saying that's the only way he can win because he he has really solid striking. He's knocked out quite a few people and he's pieced up quite a few people on the feet. He pieced up Tony Ferguson every in every department. It was it was actually really crazy. Um but also he's like I said, he's shown he's shown weaknesses a couple times in the past but right now I think he's at his absolute peak as far as performance and he's in his prime 
we're going to see the best versions of both guys. And I'm really excited because, you know, I just, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dismissing Charles Oliveira, but as far as striking goes, I think it's pretty even. I think, I think that Michael Chandler has more power. As far as technical, technical striking Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler are very even as far as technical ability with striking and then when it comes to wrestling they're both really good at wrestling and but if I'm going to go off of which I always do if I'm going to go off of track record Michael Chandler has never been submitted before so if the striking department is pretty even power advantage going towards Michael Chandler he's going to be the bigger threat in my opinion on the feet. And then when it comes to the grappling department, we've seen Charles Oliveira get out grappled. We've seen him get submitted, but we've also seen him submit a million people. So I just think Michael Chandler has less resistant paths to victory. I think he has more ways to win. And I think, I really do genuinely think he's going to win. And I think it's going to be a really good fight. There's going to be flashes from both fighters we could possibly see a rematch. It could be, I think it's going to be a war, but I think Michael Chandler is just going to show how tenacious and, you know, just how serious he is, how good of a fighter he is, how talented he is, and how, you know, like he's been saying, he, he's been saying he's the best lightweight in the world for a long time. A lot of people didn't take him seriously because he was in Bellator, but then he came to the UFC, knocked out one of the best and solid, tough lightweights in the world so I do think there's going to be a back and forth for a while we're going to see really good grappling really good striking but I think Michael Chandler is going to come in and I think he's going to knock him out he's going to knock out Charles Oliveira later into the fight in the third or fourth round I'm going to say fourth round Michael Chandler via knockout round four and we will have a new lightweight champion and then you know it depends, you know, Dana White was saying, obviously, it depends, there are a lot of lightweight fights, there are a couple, so the Tony Ferguson-Benil Dariush fight, that could potentially bring the next contender, the next uh, title challenger, and then the Dustin Poirier-Conor McGregor trilogy bout, that could bring up the next, I, I am convinced that if, obviously, whoever wins between Dustin and Conor deserves the title shot, Dustin would deserve it more if he gets the win, Conor... I think he'll deserve it too, just because Dustin is, he's the number one, I think he's the number one ranked lightweight, so if you're beating the number one, the next guy up in the rankings, you should get the title shot, but you know, something could happen there, maybe one guy gets too injured and he's not going to be ready in time to fight whoever does, does get the belt, but no matter who it is, if Charles Oliveira or Michael Chandler wins and fights any of those guys I just listed, Tony, Benil, Dustin, and Connor. All of those possible fights could will be so, so exciting and so entertaining. So we have an exciting lightweight division. And then, of course, we have more fights coming down the line, more events coming later this spring and in the summer. And I'm just super excited. The UFC is, for, for the past few years, they've just been the cream of the crop. They've been delivering as far as consistent fight cards and fight nights there have been a couple duds the jessica i cynthia cavillo fight night that was rough though <laughs> that was rough neither of those girls no offense should ever be the main event of any fight card ever 
but yeah, I'm really excited. Sadly, I started a new job, so I'm not going to actually be able to stay up and watch this card live. I have to work on Sunday, but basically what my strategy is, is I'm going to wake up, I'm going to clear all my notifications, I'm not going to look at anything, so I'm not going to know what the outcomes are, and then maybe on my lunch I'll go try to watch the fight replays without getting any spoilers. It's hard, but and I've never actually had to do this before. I was always able to, oh, I'll take that back, a couple times I've had to miss them and it got spoiled, but I'm going to try my best to just try to replay the the card at work. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I hope you're as excited as I am, and I hope you are able to watch the fight card, and I hope you enjoy the fights. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Zendependently Minded. Please continue to support this podcast, either through listening, sharing, donating crypto, or if you go to my page on anchor.fm, you're able to also support. There's a support tab on there and an option. I've been thinking about, you know, I created a Patreon account. I'm not quite too sure, you know, with my new job and then going to school full-time. It's a bit, you know, I'm I'm going to keep at the podcast. It's something I'm passionate about. And if you're passionate about something and you care about something, you're always going to make it work. You're always going to make time, find time for it. I just, I'm not sure. I Honestly, I don't really know how Patreon works. I don't want to have to charge someone to listen to an episode because it's hard enough to catch people's attention and get reoccurring listeners, people that are returning. So I might be on Patreon, but if, you know, if that happens, I'll put that in the description. I'll talk about it in either on my Zendependent News or my next combat sports podcast. So as always, stay safe, stay away from those crazies out there. Thank you. Mm -hmm.